0: Welcome back to Parkside Green's Bible Study. Pastor Steve here, just really enjoying our study of the Gospel of Luke. And this morning, I got to tell you, I was so impressed with all the ladies here who were in single digit weather this morning to meet with their small groups. Way to go! Thank you guys. Uh, This week, we're finishing up with our first chapter, and already I think we've seen, haven't we, how rich. Luke's gospel is. And our theme for Luke 1 verses 57 to 80 will be rejoicing in God's mercy. Rejoicing in God's mercy. We're going to explore that under three headings, which you can follow along in the notes outline. Number one, we'll look at God's promises fulfilled. That's in verses 57 to 66. Secondly, we will see God's words spoken in verses 67 to 79. And thirdly, and finally, we will see God's prophet grows with some applications from verse eighty. So we start with God's promises fulfilled in verses 57 to 66. But first, let's do a quick recap to set the context, right? You remember earlier in chapter 1 that God sent an angel named Gabriel to a priest named Zechariah who was having this once-in-a-lifetime chance to, to burn incense in the sanctuary in the temple in Jerusalem. And the angel told Zechariah that his prayer had been heard. His wife Elizabeth was going to bear a son whom he should name John. Zechariah and Elizabeth would have joy and gladness, and many would rejoice at John's birth. Why? Because John would be great before the Lord. Because John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Because John would turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Because John would make ready for the Lord, a people prepared, right? Those are the highs, but the low comes when Zechariah does not believe God's words spoken to him through the angel. So Zechariah would be unable to speak until the day when these promised things take place. And that's the silver lining, right? The angel said these things would be fulfilled in their time. And that's exactly what we see in this week's passage. At the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. God's promises are fulfilled. Though Elizabeth had been barren her whole life and she was advanced in years, she conceived and she carried her baby to term. She gave birth to a son just as the angel had said. When the Lord makes a promise, the Lord fulfills it 100% of the time. When the Lord makes a promise, the Lord fulfills it 100% of the time. And maybe you noticed in verse 58 that Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives rejoiced with her because they realized the Lord had shown great mercy to her. That's exactly what the angel had said earlier in verse 14. Many would rejoice at this baby's birth, right? Elizabeth, her neighbors, and her relatives rejoice in God's mercy. You may also recall that back in Genesis 17, verse 12, that the Lord had told Abraham, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout the generations. And that's a point repeated in Leviticus 12, 3. And since we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God and walked blamelessly in all of the Lord's commandments and statutes, chapter one, verse six, it comes as really no surprise to us, right, that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise their boy. And in this case, that also seems to have been the day for naming him. (laughs) The community around them assumed the parents would name the boy Zechariah after his father. Sort of like how George Foreman named all five of his sons George Edward Foreman, so they would always have something in common. But Elizabeth steps in against the peer pressure, and she corrects the onlookers with what seems to be an emphatic statement. No, he shall be called John. Well, the neighbors and relatives are kind of skeptical since the name is unprecedented in this family, so they make signs to the boy's father to see what Zechariah wanted his son to be called. Remember, Zechariah has been mute and perhaps also deaf for more than nine months, so he asked for a writing tablet. That's that's not like our electronic tablets these days, but probably a, a wooden board covered with wax. Zechariah clearly had learned his lesson. He now follows the angel's instruction earlier from verse 3. He follows it to a T, right? In what is the first instance of writing in the New Testament, Zechariah wrote, his name is John. (laughs) And this caused the crowd to wonder with astonishment. It also caused Zechariah's mouth immediately to be opened and his tongue loosed. Makes me wonder, if I had been waiting for over nine months for my speech to be restored, what would my first word have been, right? Finally, what? Yes, or something else. May our first words every day honor God. Well, Zechariah, being a godly man, uses his first words to bless God. And this whole thing, right, of a surprise name and a sudden restoration of speech sets off this big to-do in the region where the family lives. Fear or awe came on all the neighbors. Did you notice that? All these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what will this child be? Not who, did you notice, but what will this child be, right? What will be his special role? You see, they already had some kind of sense that the hand of the Lord was with John in a special way. God was up to something. As we wrap up this first section, consider all the ways that God's promises are fulfilled. Remember that through the angel, God had promised Zechariah, number one, that old barren Elizabeth, would bear him a son. Check. Secondly, that they would call his name John, not Zechariah Jr. Check. Thirdly, that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have joy and gladness. Major check, right? Fourthly, that many would rejoice at baby John's birth. Check the neighbors, the relatives rejoice. Fifthly, that Zechariah would be unable to speak until it all took place. Check when God makes promises, God fulfills them 100% of the time. They could count on it 2,000 years ago, and we can count on it today. That takes us to our second section where we see God's words spoken. God's word spoken in verses 67 to 79. When Zechariah obediently named his son John, not only was his mouth opened and his tongue loosed, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Just as his son had been in verse 15, just as his wife had been in verse 41, the whole family is spirit-filled. And here the Spirit led Zechariah to prophesy, which means to speak the word of the Lord, Zechariah uttered divinely inspired words. He praised God. He described the roles of both John, his son, and the Messiah in God's unfolding plan of salvation. Well, it all starts with a spirit-inspired blessing. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel. Why? Right. Well, for the reason given for the blessing is that God has visited and has redeemed his people. Notice the past tense here as though it's as good as done already, but how exactly has God visited and redeemed his people? Well, it's by raising up a horde of salvation. That is a mighty salvation for his people from the house of David, just like the holy prophets of old had said. Yeah, The redeemer that God had raised up would save God's people from their enemies and from all who hated them. You see, in visiting and redeeming his people through the Messiah, God was showing the mercy promised to the Israelites' fathers. There's continuity then, right, between Old Testament Judaism with its messianic promises and New Testament Christianity with its messianic fulfillments. The Lord had not forgotten but was remembering his holy covenant with them. God had sworn an oath to Abraham in Genesis 22 that Abraham's offspring would possess the gate of their enemies and in Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. While it had been over 1,700 years, the Lord was keeping his oath by delivering and rescuing his people. You see there in verses 74 and 75 that God's design in all this was for his people to serve him without fear, to serve God in holiness and righteousness before him all their days. What a beautiful life, right? To serve God without fear in holiness and in righteousness all our days. And little baby John's going to have a key role in God's unfolding plan of salvation, right? Speaking to his eight-day-old son, John, Zechariah says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And remember, right? There had been no Israelite prophet for centuries now. But the prophet John would go before the Lord to prepare his way, serving as a forerunner to the Messiah, Specifically, John would give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. All right, I think the picture's starting to come into focus, right? Many Israelites at this time were hoping for a kind of a political or military Messiah that would deliver them from, from the dominance of the Roman Empire. But here we see that when the Lord raises up a horn of salvation— That salvation is not just about deliverance from earthly enemies and fears, but is also about the forgiveness of their sins. In verse seventy-seven, why? Verse seventy-eight tells us because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise visits His people from on high. Isaiah sixty verses two and three says, "Darkness shall cover the earth and." thick darkness, the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Now that's happening, right? Because of his tender mercy, God is visiting his people from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, right? In the shadow of death to guide their feet In the way of peace. You think about just the great reversal that has happened for Zechariah here. Originally, he had not believed God's word spoken to him through the angel. And he had been unable to speak for over nine months. But now, Zechariah was believing all of the Lord's promises. And being spirit-filled, he's boldly speaking God's word to others. Like his neighbors and his relatives, Zechariah is rejoicing in God's mercy. So God's promises are being fulfilled. God's word is being spoken and God's prophet is growing, as we see in verse 80. Now we already know from earlier in the chapter that John is going to be great before the Lord. He's going to turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He's going to make ready for the Lord, people prepared. And he will be called the prophet of the Most High. But consider that right now, this future prophet is just an eight-day-old child. He's still adjusting to life outside of the womb. His vision may still be blurry. His umbilical cord stump may not even have fallen off yet. As a baby, right, this future prophet is totally dependent on others for bathing, Food, changing diapers, everything. Even though he has been filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, it's going to be years until John learns how to read and and immerse himself in the Hebrew scriptures. So this future prophet has lots of growing to do, right? Both physically and spiritually. And note that over the years, John became, he became strong in spirit. May we too become strong in spirit. Next time we see John in chapter 3, he's going to be a full-grown man, likely in his early 30s. But in the meantime, right, verse 80 tells us that the child grew and became strong in spirit. John was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel, and that's going to be about three decades later. But before the public appearance, there must first be private growth in the wilderness. Now, that's not like the American wilderness, the the forest. We might say, I'm going into the wilderness to to go camping or something. It's the Middle Eastern wilderness, right? Of the the desert, a remote, a, a sparsely inhabited area. And so concludes the first chapter of Luke's inspired gospel. As we move toward a close, we come back to our theme of rejoicing in God's mercy. In verse 58, Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives rejoice in God's mercy to her. In verse 72, Zechariah blesses the Lord for showing to Israel the mercy promised to their fathers in his holy covenant. And verse 78 tells us it was because of the tender mercy of God that he sent a sunrise from on high, light to us who were in darkness. So, as God's people today, each one of us is invited to rejoice in God's mercy. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 2, 1-5 that we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once lived as those who were, by nature, children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, right? It's by grace that we have been saved. God's rich mercy flows out of his great love to take us who were spiritually dead and make us spiritually alive in Christ. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Adam gave us a wonderful sermon, didn't he? that included 1 Peter one three, which says that according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I praise God that he is not stingy in mercy, but rich in mercy. Lamentations 3.22 and 23 tells us that God's compassion or mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning so we rejoice in God's great mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you today as a a promise-keeping God. When you make a promise, you always fulfill it. We praise you also as a God who speaks to us, whether it's through Zechariah's spirit-filled prophecy or, or his son, Prophet of you, most high. We praise you as well for causing little John to grow and become strong in spirit. Oh Lord, we pray for ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, that we all might also grow and become strong in spirit. And Father, we praise you as one who is rich in mercy to your people, taking us from spiritual death to spiritual life, all for the praise of your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our mighty Savior, we pray. Amen.